You love the structure, don't you? I like to well, like have people. I like to have people know who we're talking to. They're looking at their iPod right now. It says JP McDaniel. Their iPod was is it early two thousands again? Our guest is JP McDay, comedian, stand-up uh, comedian, uh, one of one of our favorites. Coming people. to you live through your Zoom MP3 player. <laughs> <laughs> you have 13 tracks and one of them's JP. Yeah. <laughs> I know you downloaded this on Kazaa, and uh, um, we appreciate this it. This podcast is being played on uh, the six CD changers in cars <laughs> from the 2000s everywhere. Exactly. JP McDay, uh, Comedy Central, Comedy Cellar, uh, Comedy Knockout. Anything, yeah, anything that involves comedy as the word comedy and then something like violent after it. <laughs> comedy smash! Comedy uh, wars! Cellars, cellars can be violent. <laughs> it evokes imagery of darkness, I don't know. Yeah, yeah like a horror movie cellar. Um, yeah, we, we this is our second time bringing you on the, on the podcast. The, the first, first time. Fail. Well, we realized... That audio was so messy. <laughs> oh, recording through Instagram Live? Yeah, it's pretty much not the right way to, to do engineering. Oh, so percentage. I was on the lost tapes. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're definitely behind the paywall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is, I was like, oh. And then we had all the comments coming through at the same time. We yeah, tried to do an Instagram like Live session with JP, and it was fun. But it was also it was chaos. It was <laughs> very early quarantine where yeah. it was like no one knew what they were doing yet. <laughs> we're like, is the world actually done? Yeah. One guy kept asking for Monday Punday hints. And then he was like, hey, when are you going to answer our questions? It just feels like you're interviewing him. It's like, like yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. I realized though, because you jump in the middle and now, yeah. how are you going to know? How are you going to know? Yeah, we're trying to talk about something and then it's like, oh, it's awesome possum. Just <laughs> somewhere in the middle of a train of thought. How would you draw that? Now I'm distracted yeah. by how I would draw awesome possum. Um, well, I'm thinking now- of Weasel Easel. Weasel Easel. Oh, yeah. I remember. I stopped, I stopped those, the rhyming ones. That's, yeah. Uh, no, JP yeah, was also a writer on um, my uh, the, the pilot I made for Comedy Central based on Monday Punday that did not go. Uh, but we had an awesome time. Yeah, um, it was fun. It was too smart. People weren't ready for it. Well, that's uh, that's what I we're tell gonna, myself. Yeah. I mean, those puns take Sorry. me a full week to get, yeah. and they were like, "What if we did eight and an hour?" It's got to be. It's really <laughs> like a, a very specific lobe of the brain that needs to be very. activated for people. It's like some people. I I usually got them like right away, and, and most people did not. And it's like uh, we we need to be lucky to find people on the street who like know have how this to do specific this. way to think. This is, so, this is a little mean, but I remember when I came to, I was like, hey, do you do my Monday Pondays? And you're like, ah, I'm not very good at them. And I was like, I'm looking for like someone to help me write for like a pilot I'm having made. And the next day you're like, I solved 200 of 300. <laughs> well, meanwhile, when we first started dating, he was still doing them weekly. And every week he'd send me like the pre-version. So there's there's no way for me to get assistance. The and director's like, cut. Yeah, I'm like over here annoying. just like, holy yeah. shit, I got to figure this out. Because I'm trying to impress this guy, but I'm yeah. not smart enough for this. There's no answer, this is, Keith. No, this is a nightmare scenario. So many people who are much smarter than me were not good at doing them, and it's yeah. like it's gotta be just a. It's a very specific, you know. Uh, yeah. John Gard is a friend of mine who's uh, not a traditionally educated guy, but um, he didn't go to college, and he's a really goofy, funny guy. But we were at a party one time, and there were uh, I had the binder out, and there were like three or four people solving who were like comedy writers bright people sharp people and they were they had done a couple and they were staring at one and they've been staring at it for like a minute and then John Gard just walks by and goes ah J.C. Penny and walks yeah. away and he was drunk <laughs> and we were just like what was that? <laughs> He's a savant. Yeah. 
it's kind of like joke like joke writing where someone said recently to me like if uh if you don't get it right away it's probably not going to come or like comedy that uh doesn't come to you quickly is probably not going to be that good yes. and it's like yeah. so if you could have four people staring at a puzzle for a long time and if they don't get in it, it's kind of, you kind of know within the first minute or not if you're going to get it yes yeah. like if you're going to write a good joke or like if the concept is good i think so yeah, yeah. Or if, like it, it usually they usually come to you fully formed right like the best yeah jokes. i yeah. noticed that it's really frustrating yeah yeah we were like oh well that thing i just said at you know 11 30 randomly on a tuesday is mm-hmm. now the idea on the way to the bit. show is better than the one you've been trying to sculpt Right, where you're like, well, this concept year. should, this area of my life should warrant. Yeah, you, you try to be this artist, like, laboring over something yeah. for hours at a time at a coffee shop, and it just is not nearly as funny as the dumb thought that you had, like, yeah. on the subway. I try to do, like, I always, like, oh, this is a good concept, this is a big, I'm going to get a lot of material out of this, and I struggle and struggle and struggle, like, try it as a one-liner. Just figure out the one-liner version. If it works, it's easier to expand a one-liner into a longer bit than it is to take a, a bit and make it down into a short poppy joke. 100%, so, yeah. yeah. So I love that. That's what Twitter's really good for. I mean, you love, you tweet a lot of jokes. How many of those make it to the stage? Every, I'll, one or two a month will probably become a bit that I'll do on stage, something mm-hmm. like that. But that was actually like how I got into stand-up in the, to begin with. Like, Twitter? I, yeah, I had it. I had it. Segue. Oh it's, my gosh. Okay. JP, I'm, appreciate you. I'm producing this damn podcast. <laughs> we, uh, I had a Twitter with like you know 80 followers or whatever back in the day, like 2011, and uh, I was just writing stuff. And you know, you get one or two likes on something, be like, oh shit, this is viral. Yeah. <laughs> this is gonna go ahead. huge. And people, like my friends, would tell me, like, I like your tweets. They're they're funny. People I didn't know that well would tell me that they enjoyed them. And uh, that was like, okay, if I can do that, that's kind of joke writing, right? So I might as well, <laughs> if I could string them all together, I might be able to say have them something. in front of people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I've seen many people do on stage, just read their <laughs> tweets. We're all we're all guilty of it, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, that was kind of a way in. So was that what you... So you started here in New York. Was yeah. that literally what you did for your first mic? Or like, how was that process? So I was a real coward about getting on stage. Yeah, I, I moved to New York for an office job. And I lived in an apartment with uh, my friends from growing up. Three three friends like oh. from high school. It was pretty sweet. Connecticut. Connecticut. We were down in uh, Bay Ridge, all at the end of the R... All the way at the end of the R train, oh, where yeah. no one ever goes. Are they still here? Two of them are, I think, and one of them is in Massachusetts or whatever. But we, we still keep in touch. We're still buds. And, and um, I lived with one of them for like five years. Oh, yeah. But um, we were hanging out and, you know, they're really funny people. And we would always just joke and riff and fuck around, whatever. And uh, I had talked about wanting to do stand up. And I think I said to one of my friends, like, yeah, I think I'm going to try it at some point in the next 10 months. <laughs> And it's like, <laughs> you idiot, just go do it. Like, what, uh, don't what changes in 10 months? Right. I, I think because I wanted to amass material. And mm. uh, I, wanted, I, I knew enough about stand-up that I knew I needed to have like a five minutes before I got on stage. And I tried to write that out. And I would just go into my notes app on my phone and yep. write down random thoughts. Pause for laughter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote in all the choreography and yeah. tech. Like, well, the open micers are going to love this, so definitely (laughs) give them a couple seconds. What did you do? So was it about 10 months from that point? No, it wasn't quite that long. But um, I remember going, I went to an open mic, I guess it was September of 2012. I had been in New York for like a year. And 
I, I went to an open mic and I was like, I'm just going to watch and just see what it's like. And then eventually uh, I was just like, ah, screw it. I'm going to get on stage. I'm going to put my name on the list. Right. Oh, so you went to watch and did it. Yeah. Where, where, was do it? you remember where? Yeah, it was No Fun Bar. at uh, It's on the Lower East Side. Had you watched open mics before? Or was that your no, first? No, I'd never watched. I'd just... I'd seen live comedy in the city before. I'd been to the cellar and I'd been to like knitting factory and stuff, but I hadn't been to an open mic. So, That's so cool. I thought I feel like the effect the open mics had on me was boosted my confidence tremendously because I'd also 100%. only gone to like legitimate shows, and then I was like, oh well, I can do this. Yeah. Like, That's what Chase, the Chase's big recommendation. People who are like afraid of starting comedy, just go to open mics. It'll right. Be very inspiring. You'll be better than a fourth of the people on yeah. the first time. Oh, you're Instantly. Not fully crazy. <laughs> you'll be all right. Right. Oh. Oh. The first open mic that I went to was a perfect example of that. But like before, in the months leading up to that, I'd been to the cellar because I saw Colin Quinn was on the lineup. I was like, I'm gonna go oh, see sick. that. Yeah. And I saw him, and I saw I think John Mulaney was on that show. Jesus. I saw like Rachel Feinstein, and I went to uh, um, this. I went to the Knitting Factory. I saw Hannibal with like Eric Andre and all these people who are like, like I can't do comedy. <laughs> Ted Alexandra. I was like, Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I can't do this. But then, uh, I, well, actually, that kind of gave me the, the inkling of the thought, like, maybe I could do this as a job if I got better at it and I worked yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. So it was like there was some hit there that I could do it. And uh, then going to the open mic, is like, oh, yeah, I could, there's no barrier to entry. I could just start <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, I could just have a conversation with one person. It's yeah. the equivalent. It's like hiking. Of like, you just take that first step, and now you're hiking. Yeah, like exactly. You know, like, when does it begin? Right. Uh, did you do a full five minutes? Did you have six like, minutes? Six Holy minutes. shit! Was, yeah, my first open mic was six minutes, and it was like overprepared. It, you could have been there a couple months early. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a mixed mic, and it was you know music and comedy. Oh yeah, they always give the comedians way too much time. Yeah, yeah. and it was. A, it's a terrible idea, and a lot of the people who use their time for quote comedy. One was this guy who was like, I think he was homeless. And he was very disheveled looking, and he would spend his whole six minutes just rambling about politics and conspiracy. Nice. And uh, there was a guy who was a boardwalk performer at um, uh, what you call it uh, down on the pier. Oh, what the Coney hell is Island? It? At Coney Island. Nice. And he was like a Coney Island freak, and he uh, <laughs> stripped completely naked, and he hammered a nail into his nose. Oh my god! Among other things. And uh, wow, <laughs> that's that's time. yeah, that's. <laughs> So, yeah, it, you didn't feel like Six you were alone. Six minutes, that's fast, and, you know, hammering. Yeah, you got to be efficient with <laughs> yeah, your hammering. Yeah, I really got it. But, um... You didn't have time to take it out. <laughs> no, so yeah. That's right, my time. I'm getting that's the light. Follow me on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see if I get this thing back out. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get a job on last week tonight, so... <laughs> but, um... It and would, it, you, you, you liked the set? You, you had fun? I thought I did well. I'm sure that's, I didn't. Yeah, that's what I, I mean. Doesn't I matter. Yeah, yeah, I stood on a wooden box for six minutes, and I talked... And I did jokes, and I think I got like some pity laughs. I think for the first year of doing comedy, it was all pity laughs. It was you, like nothing. We you said that to me the other day of like the first time you heard real laughter. Yeah, it was a year into comedy. You're like, oh, I've never had real laughter, but you heard like this wave of laughter. You're like, oh, I've been bombing this whole time. Right. Yeah, that was exactly it. That was at the the creek in the cave. Uh, I was doing it over mic there, the infamous creek in the cave. And, uh, in the basement. We all. We, yeah. No, because it was actually it was supposed to be in the basement, like uh -huh. all the open mics are. But for whatever reason, they were like, we're having it upstairs. Was it like, maybe because the, the basement theater. was like flooded? Something. <laughs> the, flood, the bodies The bodies. Remember like right up. before they were like, before <laughs> we, quarantine, we were going to go to a mic there and they were like, well, it flooded, so it's canceled. Yeah. It got Classic. Rain, it got rained out. Yeah. But, um, Indoors. We all love the creek, but it has its many Oh, ports. that's many why it's nice. Yeah. That's the, so, yeah, the joy of it. I love that It's place. an interesting place. It'll always be like part of everyone's mm -hmm. personal like comedic history. Are you like... Uh, 
Mike Lawrence where it was like a big developmental factor for you yeah totally yeah. That's, there's some really cool comics that came out of that definitely I think that his class of comics like they were on their way out of the creek when I was getting into it but I did see Mike one of the first time well I'll get back to that yeah please first laugh over my story but uh and then I'll go back to Mike but um it was upstairs and it was like I I riffed on somebody else's bit that they did right before me and I just like added my own punchline to it to the premise and like that got a pop from from the <laughs> open mic crowd that was like oh wait a minute <laughs> yeah like you said it, he just cocked me it, <laughs> your premise my punchline yeah but it was like that uh, it completely contextualized the entire previous you know yeah, 10 year. months year yeah. of doing open mics where it was like oh okay that's what a real laugh sounds like do you feel like when you go on stage because you're so Connecticut looking, you have to prove yourself in some way? Or <laughs> I think there's uh, no one's going to be rooting for you if you have <laughs> a real polo grounds type appearance. So that, it's the if you're a basketball fan, there's the Christian Leitner effect. But uh, some people will get that. But I don't know, but I'm gonna laugh. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> yay sports. It's like Mulaney, where it's I don't know the reference, but it, it definitely it sounds, sounds funny. very funny the way you said it. Equates, it. Yes, <laughs> it connects, but. Um, yeah, I think, you know, if you're a, a tall white guy who um, look, looks like, uh, you know, his dad got, like your joke, his dad got him the job, mm-hmm. uh, you have to fight against that a little bit. You have to humble yourself, I think. Yeah. Or you have to go completely the other way, like Daniel Tosh and Anthony Jeselnik and be like, yeah, I'm, you know, ex- yeah, I'm an have like an extremely writer. arrogant mm-hmm. onstage persona. You thought I was this, I was that times two. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Both those guys write. That's the whole thing of like, I've always felt the need to just demonstrate writing ability very quickly. Yes. Just, just like, hey, I know you hate me, but at least I But, I but the reality the is, so many people still, whenever they were like, oh, Matt's comedy, you know, he looks like a douchebag. <laughs> like, the, every time, that's the one joke they remember out Yeah. Because yeah. I think it makes them feel... It's the evokes versus like the more logical thinking like, oh, think that was a technically sound joke. There's like a primacy bias too. I think yeah. like when you see a comic, you're, if you're going to remember bits that they did, I think you're most likely to remember like their opener and their closer and not much of the stuff that's in between. Yeah, hmm. like that's the, really important to, the first thing for me to remember. Yeah. That's so uh, first open mic. I got lost. Where were we? We were at the part where he realized he wasn't bombing anymore or at yeah. least had a taste of not bombing or realize that I had been bombing oh how yes. fast did yes. you jump into the grind of just yeah I want to know how many night. mics were you doing to get to that point for the first few months of stand up it was like I, I would do two or three a month something like that oh, okay. so not okay. many and then yeah well, you're working too which is tough yeah but I also didn't know like this is a thing that comedians do you know I would do this one I, I would do this mic at Lucky Jack's on the Lower East Side quite a lot like every Thursday I want to say and it was like music and comedy. It was like four hours long at least. And uh, but at I would least just go, with musicians, like they're not comics that would be in the crowd. Yeah, they're great audience members, right. musicians, yeah. and they're usually pretty talented. But I would do that, and I'd just be like, okay, this is my open mic that I'm going to do for the night. And then there would be other comics coming in and out, and they would go do one or two other mics right. in the interim. And I didn't know that people were like that was part of what you do like you run around to all these other different spots I just didn't know about them yeah and you're commuting like, most yeah. of comedy is just commuting comedy, that's exactly it comedy feels like a, an RPG where you just play and amass points and then when you get to a certain level 
there's like a guy in the corner of the, the bazaar who's like, now that you're at this level, I'll show yeah. you to, uh, how to get to the next stage. The guy who dismissed you before, yeah. like, yeah. you'll never be a comedian. <laughs> you have the shield of Aragorn? Yeah, you come back with some amulet. Yeah. It's like, oh. it's, I had the same thing. With I have someone, I lucky was, Buddha coins. <laughs> yeah. I've been doing it for a few months, and someone was like, hey, uh, you clearly want to do this. Here's the other spots during the week to go to. That's so nice. Yeah. For me, it was, I had the same thing where for a couple months I was just doing it on Mondays because it was right. like, I didn't know that there were other nights of the week to do it. And I was so frustrated because if I bombed on Monday, as I usually did, my whole week kind of sucked. So yeah. I was like, can I at least get another chance to roll the dice? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I can have some self Can I just ruin my night instead yeah. of my week? Like, yes, be exactly. Way better. But so, I didn't know that you, you had to do that. And I, I just, yeah, I got a sense of physically where to go. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I understood like... Logistics. Did was, comics show you the other did other comics being like here's the the cool places that people give you like a yeah directly or indirectly I mm-hmm. think because I would see people like Dan Perlman uh, I would see like Dan Perlman Suba Agarwal a couple other people like at every mic mm-hmm. they were always there and good so comics. they seemed to know where to go yeah yeah they're good writers and uh, they clearly work really hard so I was like okay if I want to make this work I can't give it a three quarters effort. I mm-hmm. need to, you know, I need yeah. to kind of, um, give, you know, give it everything I can, uh, go to as many, get as much stage time as I possibly was, can. Was free like, were those websites around at that point? I think Slava. Bad Slava, I think was the one. That was, okay. Free mics hadn't really made its rise yet, but yeah, yeah Bad Slava was the big one. It was like the Craigslist of open mics. Are there more open mics now? I don't know. Well, now, now during not quarantine, now. probably no. But before quarantine, there are actually it's like twenty a day, lot. like in New York. Yeah, yeah. I think there are more now. Even and there were a lot it's then. Boom. Yeah, it was like because when I was starting, it was definitely a boom time as well. Like yeah, twenty thirteen. Yeah. Yeah, 2013, 2014, There were a ton of like there were mics everywhere, and yeah. they they would change locations, but uh, they were always popping up. People were always starting them. There was like a huge glut of people doing comedy. Why do you in New think York. that was the case? Just more people doing it, I think. More people yeah. moving to New York to do comedy. Um, a podcast, I think, have a lot to do with it. People have talked mm-hmm. about that. Like, I listened before I did stand up. I listened to uh, comedians' podcasts, and a lot of times they would talk about like the process, and people got yeah. a better understanding of what you have to do to actually yeah. do comedy. It seemed more attainable. I mean, Which that was the, the first one I listened to. I think was Sklarbro Country. Scar Brothers. Scar Brothers. Yeah. They talk about sports and stuff. And, and they would often say stuff like, uh, oh, yeah, you need 10 years mm-hmm. to get good at comedy. And I was like, okay, I, at least I went into it with that understanding. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to just Start run around doing shows. Yeah. Checking the boxes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cool to hear it the other way. That's, I feel like I had the opposite experience. But to yeah. hear someone who actually like has a reverence for the art form and uh, like respects the craft and learns reads the the manual before right. starting I would imagine starting, you were similar to that, to that or close, yeah, way closer to that but also starting in New York is so aggressive I mean did yeah. you do mics in other like cities at any point oh later on after yeah. after I started like you know on trips to LA or something yeah oh well LA is not, not even yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I had the because I travel a good bit for work so I've yeah. had the um, ability to like kind of go up at like Boston or Dallas or I went to I did Seattle. one on a work trip in Charlotte yeah fucking awesome i was like yeah. this is a show <laughs> what 
So I would just, I mean, I'm sure that would just be a super different experience. Which is why I'm so glad that I didn't start in some other city yes, doing mics like that same. and enjoying myself and feeling like I was Come good. Come here and then just be like, because it'd be hard to start yeah. high and then go down and then go back, hopefully, up again. I fully understood in New York yeah. that I was starting at absolute zero. And yeah. I didn't have any illusions about, like, I didn't build up any yeah. kind of status somewhere else. Exactly. There's no ego involved. Yeah. It really crushes that just right out the gate and that's why i like admire anyone who moved to one of these to new york or la to do comedy after they had already started somewhere it'd else be so it's much like, hard. like i mean it'd be hard in a very different way yeah it's a psychological hurdle for you sure you feel crazy i that was my experience <laughs> yeah. and yeah. for, for the first it. two years in la i'm like was was that all a dream or was, was, was <laughs> yeah. everything i did in houston of building a, a 15 minute set of establishing my credit as a, as a feature of all these things like was that all a lie. Am I just not funny? Right. Was 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 was, was right. everyone lying to me? <laughs> like if it, it feels like I, feel well, like I woke I? up in a, in a in like a movie where I have some. Yeah. I I also got less funny during that time. Really? I also think because the lack of the lack of stage time, and then I was very defensive and trying too hard to prove myself, and it yeah. made a lot less funny on stage. When other factors creep into your head, like if you're sitting in that crowd at an open mic and you're like, oh, I want to prove this. I want to like mm-hmm. make this point because something someone else said on the mic bothered me and I want to go. It distracts you from like what your initial attention was, which was just like, go do my jokes and be as yeah. funny as I can. Mm-hmm. So you had to also like, be like happy. recenter yourself. Yeah. 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 Or yeah. like having a good time. That was... And fake the confidence that yes, you need to get exactly, on stage. Yes, exactly. Because like what you said about... Um, uh, feeling like it was all fake or whatever like what uh the just the act of doing comedy the whole thing is you're you're place you're making a huge gamble with your self-esteem whether it's like getting on stage or just trying to have a career in general where it's like okay you've pushed in all your chips you've said i think i'm funny and then when you get the laugh you win that bet or when you get like the opportunity or like the big break you you win that bet and if you know if you Mm -hmm. bomb you lose so it's like we're just gambling. Yeah. And, you know, the the ultimate gamble would be like, I'm going to pack up and uproot my life and move to a whole other city to like try to pursue this, which I'm glad I never had to do. Yeah. Yeah. But then I don't think I look what she goes through. Yeah. I don't I don't think I could have started. I would have been too discouraged to have so few. I got like a lot of wins early on. Of, like yeah. Once a week, I could feel like I was do like I was good at it. Whereas in New York, you can do 20 sets and none of them be satisfying. Most of them, most mics, Especially even if you year, are really good, won't, for, yeah. yeah, for your voice. Yeah. But I think that's why, like, I mean, for me, going to those other cities and doing those random open mics, right. that, that was, was like, great. weirdly put, like, I was like, okay, I'm actually improving, despite... context for everything. Yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, you don't see the... I mean, it's a lot like, in like, you know, like tapering. Like in swimming, where you would, you know, yeah, you put a weight exercise, belt on. Yeah, where you, you, the, the, the one of the things that happens in swimming, I guess, I have those other sports is you train at a complete deficit. You stay broken down, and you, it feels like you're not improving, but yeah. you're staying in this broken down state. And then when you actually let yourself recover, you, you have so much more ability than you could. It's perceive. like you, you train for literally four year cycles, and then you come down. It's insane, and then yeah. you come down for a month, and there's like one month that you're like swimming fast. Magic. Right. You're like, is this a... <laughs> it feels so easy. So messed up. Yeah, I think you're always improving uh, more than you think you are. Did yeah. You, did you like... Did you... Uh, I imagine your act, your jokes, uh, open micers would enjoy them a lot of the time. I think so. I remember one particular open mic, uh, 
it was just like weirdly hot and I had like a weirdly great set out of nowhere it was uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of new short jokes that I did and it was like two two maybe three minutes of stage time mm-hmm. and it was like joke 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 longer right? ones yeah right, the marathon but um yeah I think because um I was like a super super one-linery joke guy when I first started and I still yeah. am kind of like that it's kind of like the backbone of what I do it it lends itself to success in an open mic setting so it was mm-hmm. like yeah. okay this is satisfying and e- even a good comedian can't see where your jokes are going. You have, and that's true of your Twitter jokes and your stage jokes. There's just the there's no formula. I, I never can. Yeah, it's always it always comes out of left field. It's, it's always, always just dumbass chaos, baby. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Smart chaos. When did you? So you do a lot of characters, but I feel like you don't do as many of them on stage. I feel like you're doing more of them on stage more now. On stage Sometimes I'll, I'll yeah I'll, I'll use them in on stage. I, I have like. Um, Little micro characters, I guess. Nothing that's like, yeah. here's a chunk of me doing this guy. But um, not that I'm against that. I like I like comedy that's like that. Yeah. But um, right. yeah, you see a lot of that in the alt scene where like people get real creative, where they're just they might not even be themselves on stage. They're just doing a character the whole time, which I like yeah. that. But uh, I'll do that sometime. The key is, and I've talked about this with impressions too, where uh, yeah, it's a it's a weapon that you want to have in the arsenal, and I want to be able to use it on stage. But there's uh, the concern of making it not look hacky because like there's a way to go on go on stage and be like, hey, what if Denzel Washington, Al Pacino, and Robin Williams were stuck in an elevator? Like, <laughs> yeah, there's. Um, it, I think, when did you start doing them? Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, I. Um, when did I start doing them? I think from the very beginning, when I, early open mics and bringer days, I did shoehorn them into my act somehow and I did some impressions that were good some that were bad I think I've done like a pretty bad JFK nice. a bunch of times but I just that's more fun for me I just like yeah. it. Um, you're really good at them because uh, like that's the cool thing of like I've just I'll throw characters at at you <laughs> and you'll have an impression sometimes back, which is cool but yeah it, and it's something that audiences like um, I've, I've heard Dan Soder talk about this where like he had to kind of be dragged in kicking and screaming to doing impressions on stage and then the he finally did his you think this bad neighborhood like that, <laughs> that bit and it just crushes it he did it on Conan and stuff but uh, if you can find a way to work it in that um, isn't super hacky I think it's a, a good tool to have yeah uh, you'd, you'd express that I, I I also notice I can't do any of them I also notice Maria Bamford someone who I really like and she would mm. never do an extended it always left you wanting a little bit more which yes. is kind of the way to mm-hmm. do it um but yeah, it's impressive. And I've also, I think since quarantine started, you've been putting out some some more videos of these characters. A little bit. Yeah, I did. really the, good. very enjoyable. It's Thank very you. exciting to see you work that muscle, at least publicly. <laughs> I did one at the beginning of quarantine that was like an old guy from New York talking about basketball. Because oh, like, so my, my dad played college basketball and he was like a real New York City basketball guy. And he has all his, his friends from that era who I've met. And uh, they all talk like that. Oh, the best ball player I ever saw, Richard DiCiuccio. <laughs> but uh, and that was just really fun to like wring everything out of that uh, idea for a character and just put it out there. And I don't know, nothing pisses me off more than a good stand-up comic who can write well, who <laughs> can do impressions but doesn't. That's just, <laughs> uh, uh, 
but that's like a huge that feels like like i said about the gambling with your self-esteem before if you bomb with an impression holy shit (laughs) that sucks it's worse than bombing with a joke that you thought was clever it's like oh i Am I hearing the same thing as you guys? You invest, yeah, because you have to sell it. That's yeah. why I don't sell any jokes. And they're like, that's not him at all. Like, uh, uh, we, we mentioned Mike Lawrence before, a good buddy of mine. He's like a, like a big brother in comedy. And that's really wonderful. He, he lived in my apartment for like a month or so when he was writing for Crashing, and, uh, or a couple months. And uh, <laughs> he's, he's just super honest with me, which I really appreciate. And uh, we were talking about impressions, and I think I was trying to do John Goodman, and he's like, yeah, you're way off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, God damn it, I'm going to get this Goodman. This is John Goodman for the idea of snack. And I don't, I don't think that's, that's not it. That's not it at all. There was a, that's a, my white whale. A great thing I heard. This is, I hope you remember this. This doesn't apply to me, but it does apply to you. A thing I heard from some voice actors on Futurama. They said, when you try to do an impression and it fails... It's not a failure. It's a new character. Ah, I can't remember which Futurama character maybe Billy was. West. Or yeah, it's like a, a yeah, probably. But like yeah. um, Doctor Evil is a failed Lauren Michaels impression. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah, well, or Zoidberg was some failed impression or something like that. Where it was Zoidberg. they were trying to do someone and it was off the mark. And I'm like, but it still sounds like something. So make it as an original character. Yeah, I've heard uh, Seth MacFarlane talk about that. Yeah. How um, uh, who is it? Is just an impression that. Well, like Quagmire is an old radio commercial ah, oh, person, I see that. and Peter Griffin is like people that he knew growing up, and uh, yeah, they're all impressions. Like some of the easiest impressions to do are cartoon characters because that's just someone modulating their voice. Yeah. So you just modulate your voice in the same way, and you pretty much get the character. I realize there's like hack impressions because yes, you talked about how someone cracks it. Was that yes. you? Would you just you find one or two little things and overdo them, even if it's not true to the character? Well, everyone who's doing Christopher Walken is doing Jay Morris, Christopher Walken. Interesting. Hello, how are you? Great. Like that's that little emphasis on certain words is like, uh, yeah, it's just someone found the the master key and mm-hmm. opened the door for like for everyone else to do it. Yeah, Trump. Man, there's every Trump. There, I I realized I'd never heard a good Trump impression. Until I heard Jordan Carlos's Trump impression. Yeah. It's perfect. It's like you close your eyes and it sounds like it. I mean, I, it just hit me that everyone else is doing an impression of an impression. Right. You know James Austin Johnson? Yeah, that was really His good. so good. His was, it's not spot on, but it's at least a new variation. Right. It's like, oh, he picked up different fluctuations in the voice. Yeah. That video was so good. But we're never, oh, Remember he's, that? It was his girlfriend's just sitting in the background reading a book, and he's just word oh, vomit. Yeah. That yeah. Funny. He's circle, really circle, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. But like, like if I was to do any of you, this is, this is just Alec Baldwin's Donald Trump. This yeah. is the one that everyone does. It's not even good. They it's, all make me laugh, though. <laughs> 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 it's just an easy audience. So, I think uh, James Austin Johnson, he gets the, he gets the rasp, like he his, cracks his voice Yeah, it's purpose. in the sinuses or something. Yeah. It's something in a yeah. way that I can't do it. But there's certain ways, it's you're towing such a thin line when you do an impression because some of them are caricatures and they're great, and some of them are just oh you're getting it wrong. You're yeah. saying yeah. in a way that he doesn't he doesn't do that. So that which is distracting and annoying. I hate when people do an impression of someone, and it's like no they don't say that they don't say that word that way. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's good. I don't know like uh, when when Tarrant Killam does Brad Pitt. Bah! Yeah, he just found one. He just found that. He doesn't make that noise ever. No, <laughs> but it's. I never. I remember being that. I was like, I did not know you could imitate Brad Pitt. I didn't yeah. think he had that distinctive a voice. But it becomes yeah. essential to the character. Yeah, 
Terry Kilms, I really liked his impressions on yeah. SNL. He's got, he's really good at them. You have a favorite impressionist? Um, I remember seeing like Melissa Villasenor do her America's Got Talent audition. I was like, holy shit, that's yeah. incredible. She's really good. Uh, I, like the SNL era that I grew up watching was like Daryl Hammond. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the reruns that I would see were like Daryl Hammond. He was so good. Yeah. Um, who else is really good? I mean, like Jimmy Fallon does some really good ones. Um, who else? Jim Goldman started as an impressionist. Did he really? His for the first year, he would he was killing with a. Uh, it was a conversation between Seinfeld and Kramer, and it would kill. And he stopped doing it, and people were like, and started trying to just do jokes. We were like, go back to the impressions. He was like, no, nah, I'm gonna do this thing until it works. Yeah, <laughs> like paid off. But it's like, gonna it's write really well for twenty years. Yeah. yeah. What's that called in chemistry where you have to get over a hump? And then you get to a better spot. You know what I mean? Of like critical mass or something, something like that, where it's like you could take the easy road for now and stick that out with, yeah. with limited returns, or you could take a risk for higher returns. That's a I love how, those stories. How many years in were you when you started working on your impressions? I don't want to do impressions. I hope I don't have to do that. You have to. Gonna... <laughs> I'm over you here do. in my head. I'm like. Oh my god! I can't even can do, do like voices. a German accent, and I am German. <laughs> I'm gonna wake you up at four o'clock in the morning. We're gonna Get go up. running. We're gonna go yeah. Yeah. up the stairs, and I have to do a Rocky impression at the top. Yeah. I'm like, Gilbert Godfrey, go! <laughs> what? This is, just, like, I'm so cold, scared. Throwing cold water on yeah. you. Let's hear that, Gary Busey. <laughs> I'm like, who is that? <laughs> Soder is that you mentioned Soder? He's like yeah. a secretly good impressionist. Oh, he's like, awesome. You were that, like, yeah. He's got that really deep register to his voice where he can <gasps> access like a lot of. Oh, so deep. I should smoke cigarettes. I really should. I should like start smoking <laughs> cigarettes. His voice sounds just like yeah. it's just like it kind of an act octave lower oh, than it should. Boy. Was she a great big fat person? <laughs> <laughs> Um, every time I'll do Buffalo Bill all day who's that actor oh uh, what the hell is the listeners are going to be screaming oh, his, his name is going to come he's he's like a character actor who's done a bunch of other different things since then but nothing big since Buffalo Bill oh, okay because I think it's not Vincent D'Onofrio no Vincent D'Onofrio played a serial killer in The Cell oh okay D'Onofrio that's another awesome. great character actor so so you do characters and you also do a lot of roasting yeah which do you like more uh, I don't I don't view them as like versus everything. Yeah, because roasting exists kind of. It is a relative of stand up. It's I think part of stand up. Yeah, appendix of stand up. These are the two things I'm most scared of doing. Really, in in comedy, roasting Roasting and impressions. I love it probably the same reason you love it. Yeah, it's. I think we've talked about this before. It's like a very satisfying form of comedy writing. You get there's. You don't need rapport. You don't need anything. You don't need momentum. You get to just try out your jokes one by one. Yeah. And you typically don't get penalized for jokes being too jokey. The only context it needs is the person needs to be there, mm-hmm. and then you yeah. have every. And it's like the joke can exist on its own. It doesn't need to be set up. It strips away a lot of performance, which is always the more challenging part of stand up for me. Yeah. It, it's like it's just it's focus grouping like your your jokes one line at a time but that's what I found more recently in the in the roast that I've done like a New York comedy club um, I've experimented a little bit more with like performative performance elements to it and like yeah. thought outside the box a little more where it's not like I'll do jokes now every now and then that are not set up punchline or they rely on an act out or you know um, there's a a theme to like a group of jokes where cool. it's weird and that's that's fun um I think the the roasting format is like 
a little bit more flexible than people give it credit for. And it's, it lends itself to more styles than people uh, yeah. like to think. Like if you look at the old roasts, like the Dean Martin roasts, they've got people doing characters, mm-hmm. you know, there's weird stuff going on. And uh, they've got people who aren't comedians and yeah. it was kind of chaotic and, and funny and, and just wild. It was, it was also like pretty, uh, there were some jokes that were like nuanced, very tasteful. There was one yeah. I read, I can't do justice to it because I don't remember the wording. Like, it was like a paragraph long and it ends with like almost a sweet joke where you're like, ah, the craftsmanship. Yeah. I remember, uh, I remember Sandberg's, he did the uh, reverse roast. Yeah. That yeah. makes me feel like such a fraud. Did you ever listen to that? It was <laughs> No, I feel like I have James to go Franco? back to this episode. James Franco. He goes Write up down and every person we've talked about and yeah. go Google them now. <laughs> he uh, he compliments. He all of his jokes are compliments hurled as insults. Yeah, it's really good. Or like, and uh, then Bill Hader did that one too. He Bill Hader did the character, um, the, the boss of guy. show business. Yeah, <laughs> James Franco, you're welcome. Uh, George C. Scott did one that I talk about sometimes on um, a roast of of. Um, I'm not drawing a blank on his name. He's like the king of roasts. He's like Jeff Don Rickles. Don Rickles. Oh, I'm yeah. blank on Don Rickles' name. COVID brain. But uh, <laughs> Don Rickles was like the best of that era. But um, George C. Scott is an actor. He was in Patton. He was in The Hustler. He's like this incredible dramatic actor from the 60s, 70s. And um, he's on stage and he's talking about, oh, I feel kind of out of place because I'm, a, I'm an actor among comedians. And he says... Uh, I'm not here. This is the one. Yeah, I'm. I'm not here to make fun of Don Rickles. I'm not here to trade barbs with Don Rickles because you'd need a comedian to do the first and a true wit to do the second. Instead, I'm here to say something nice about Don Rickles, and for that, you need an actor. That's like yeah, that's the joke. That's yeah. the one I was thinking. Such a perfectly it's classy. Per- joke. It's yes. so classy. I don't think it'd work. I don't think it'd work at Comedy Fight Club. No, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, throw in some slurs and yeah. that'll really pop better. It was when I had a conversation with Mike Lawrence where I was like, I was like, I don't even like roasting, man. I just like the idea of writing jokes and just getting to try them one by one. Yeah. Mike was like, no, I like insulting people. <laughs> He's like, I, I like hurting people's feelings with words. I like doing the, just ju- the, to be a joke. the judo flip on somebody yeah. where, yeah, you're you're winning the fight against them and you're getting them on the ground, but you're not hurting them. Yeah. You know? yeah. Roasting isn't my favorite thing. I like it. I'll definitely do it. But Mike Lawrence lives to roast. Yeah. It's like, he did stand up to get into roasting. He's the only <laughs> right. person I know who did it backwards. Yeah, he likes it's, to rip people's hearts out. It's weirdly become such a... It wasn't totally this when I started, but it's become such an entryway for people who are not having a ton of luck with their stand-up. Yeah, I think so. Um, for better or worse, I do I do love when people diversify their like tactics and and you know build an arsenal of abilities. But right, was it how early did you get into it? I think I did my first one in 2015, so I was hmm. two Three. and a half years in, yeah, yeah. something like that. And uh, what drew you to it? Well, I had. I always liked roasts. I always liked that kind of comedy, and I, I think I had published uh, roast jokes or something before. Like, I had like live tweeted a Comedy Central roast or something with my oh, own cool. jokes, and so for one reason or another, followers love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, they were going nuts, and um, <laughs> somehow can't be stopped. Yeah, somehow or another, some people knew that I could write roast jokes, and then uh, I wrote some jokes for a friend who was doing a battle. And then he like recommended me to um, uh, do your own. Yeah, to just to do my own battle. And uh, who was I, your first opponent? Eli Sayers. 
Whoa. Yeah, right? yeah. The, that's yeah. a... Was, also, another guy who lives to roast. Yeah, oh. was, how far no into idea. roasting was he at, Was he also just starting? That was that his point? first one, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, both that's, of our, Who won? He did. And uh, you both held the, the, the belt at one point or another, right? Different belts. He was yeah. the champ for a long time in uh, the other... In uh, Roast Masters, and I won it in Roast Battle at New York Comedy Club. I still did, have the belt. Did someone nice. film that roast? I yeah, love. It's, oh god, it's on YouTube. Really it's our first watch. one. That, uh, okay, I gotta go. Gotta go. That's what I'm gonna actually dig out of the archives versus everything else you guys have referenced. Yeah, and that show was so fun. Um, it was for a while, and I think the the parallel. It's basically battle rapping with jokes. That's mm-hmm. the format of the show. And what rap battles do is they serve as like a venue for people who are like technically proficient rappers but in some cases are not cool at all and probably <laughs> couldn't make a good song but they're like i'm good at this i'm good at composing lyrics and putting together rhymes and like they wow. become good in that arena and the same thing happens i think with roast battle and, and the roast format where it's like yeah i might not have any charisma at all but i'm gonna put together i can write a mean joke and yeah. it's gonna hit in the setting my jokes may never come together into one yeah codified item but uh yeah that's that's it that's cool that works that way um annoying question but i'm sure one listeners would like to hear uh what were kind of the big breaks along the way from starting open mics to now being uh, on, on television well, at that the first cellar? laugh 10 months in first laugh 10 months in <laughs> uh I was just plugging along. What did I get before that? And New York, so New York, you would, you, you, the cool thing about New York that I've noticed is the open mics. If you do well at open mics, you very often get offered a show. What? Yeah. Yeah. I think Not every time. But so many eventually. people book their own shows and you can, you can. Matthew, I think who, that's your impact. That's what, this is something Ashton told God. me. He goes, he goes, treat the audience like it's a room full of bookers because a lot yeah. of them run shows. I think, um, I don't. I don't. I haven't asked for a lot of stage time, and I think it's because like I've always treated the open mics uh, that way, where like people who book shows, book bar shows, will will ask you to do them, and that's kind of I kind of slowly build momentum doing that. Um, my friend Nicole Conlin, who's really funny, she uh, writes for Colbert. Now she uh, put together. A, she she was like, oh, we need tapes mm-hmm. for our standup, and this was like 2015, I want to say. And uh, she's like, I'm going to put together a little show. We're going to get some tapes. And she got like a, a videographer with two nice cameras to come to this little show at Britpack and like make tapes for us. And that was the tape that got me JFL. So oh, that shit. was, yeah. And you did it 2016, right? 2016, which I yeah. think was like kind of early for me. So that would be the first like big break that I got. Um, I don't even know. It, yeah, I think it might have been a little bit early. Wrapped or unwrapped. Uh, unwrapped. Oh yeah, unwrapped happens a little earlier. I, I feel like for certain people. Yeah, yeah. Because they don't. They what they said was, we don't want to lose you for next year. Like, the, um, we don't want to like you'll get signed sign next somebody year, and then we won't sure, be able yeah. to get you on unwrapped. Yeah. So that was yeah. I did that in 2016. That was pretty exciting. That was a big break. Uh, met my manager there. Got some you know, meetings with TV people. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was more like a brass ring than anything. It was like a feather in the cap. Mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of helped me get a, some more shows moving forward from there. And then it wasn't long after that I did Comedy Central Roast Battle. Um, that taped in November. It was yeah, it was the night before the 2016 election oh when it taped. God. Thank God it was before. Yeah, <laughs> the, the mood wasn't completely soured yet. Yeah, I was gonna say, can you imagine it was that? And you're like, because hey. you were you did one of those regional episodes. You did like Atlanta or Denver. 
one of those? No. No, I just did the the battle you did, against Mike. Right. I did I did the tournament in 2015 as part of JFL, which yeah. went well for me. Um, and then I did the first season against Mike Lawrence, right? And lost. That's right. First round. And um, yeah, we did our we taped our episode the night before the election, and then I think one of the other regional episodes taped after the election. Oh, no. So it was just like boosh, the energy was destroyed. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was at a mic, uh, mic in Chicago on the night of the election. Yeah. And some guy left crying. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a dark night. I had a the next day. There was a lot of literal moaning and wailing. Yeah. <laughs> I went to bed just being like, oh, no problem. Like, and I woke yeah. up the next morning and I was like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going take to your a, eye off it for one second. <laughs> I was going to a watch party. I was like, oh, this is going to be over in 45 minutes. Yeah, exactly. I was like, no problem. I got you know, to get up early tomorrow. <laughs> but anyway. Uh... So yeah. roast battle, yeah, roast, roast, roast battle win. Yeah. Um, and then comedy knockout came up. A casting person got me involved in like a test episode. They decided to air the test episode, so I got on that season. Then eventually got a writing job there. Did another episode of comedy knockout that I wrote for season three, and that was my first writing job. Uh, that was pretty cool. That was fun because I got to work with you on that. I would show up. Yeah. Three hours early, <laughs> with having minimally looked over the packet, and then we just sit in the in the dressing room and we just write seven alts for every joke right. besides the one they gave us. That was a lot of fun. He's, fun. You're very fun. I've, 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 I'm open about this. You've helped me write a lot of roast jokes. We've written a lot of stuff together. Was that the together. first time I met you? Passing ideas. Yeah. Was was I think that was the first time I met you? Wasn't at a comedy knockout? Possibly. Could have been. You might have come to that. Yeah. I remember very early on. Uh, this, is, this is a funny story to me. You were always uh, very nice, too. I remember that. Which... I probably mentioned like 2015. <laughs> you were you were at a Creek and Cave show. The crowd yes. was bad, but you were good. <laughs> and then I, uh, I saw all your Facebook jokes. And I was like, this guy's really funny. This guy's a really good writer. <laughs> and when season one of Roast Battle came up, I was like, hey, can you help me with some jokes? And you're like, sorry, man. Michael Lawrence is my guy. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was too loyal. Yeah. I should have played both sides. Yeah. You and Mike are two people who a terrible just don't take, <laughs> you don't take jokes from anyone from what I've seen. I've never seen you. I've yeah. seen you take an edit, but I've never seen you like take a joke, which is uh, yeah, I'm not, honorable. I'm not big on bouncing ideas off people because I usually lose confidence in them. Oh. You, know, like, you will bounce ideas and you'll rework something and you'll like get it from good to great. But I will... It's never I don't have shame. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't I, feel embarrassment the way a normal human should. <laughs> I don't know. I always felt like um, I just—it's either going to all the way work or it all the way won't. And I'd kind of like throw it out. There are some. There are two different approaches that are related to World War II. I think that comedians <laughs> take the way the U.S. and the Allies won in the Pacific was they didn't have the best planes. They didn't have the best weapons. But when they crashed. They had the uh, uh, the industrial resources to to replace them faster than the Axis powers could, and the the Germans and the Japanese were like, we're going to have the best planes, we're going to have the best weapons, the highest quality, but they were harder to make, so they couldn't be replaced as much. So like some people try to make a good joke perfect. I take something that's like I kind of view it as kind of binary: either it's going to crash and burn, or it's going to work. And I you either just have a billion of them. Yeah, just throw it out completely if it doesn't work I love that because I feel like comedy metaphors aren't gruesome <laughs> yeah I was like yeah. link it link it that's as you <laughs> all say that, the though, elements have you heard the, the, the famous Ira Glass quote, quote about creativity no I'll butcher it but it was this he, he says he goes this is something that took me long to discover as a creative person it doesn't mean you're better you have better ideas you just have good taste 
and you make a lot of ideas and you can mm. just notice which 99.9% are shitty yeah. and select. So the trick is just output quality or not and then being able to uh, uh, refine it. Yeah. That's that's the process. That makes um, sense. When did you realize you wanted to like do this all like for your job? I think it was really the very beginning. It, oh, I kind of okay. went into it thinking I'm going to do this as a job. It wasn't like something I, oh, maybe I'll enjoy doing this and then it'll work out. Um, it was like from day zero, really, it was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this was your job where you just like go to a place and you tell some jokes and you get yeah. some laughs and, uh, you know, maybe what did you, the weekend. What did you like about it? The laughs or, I mean. Yeah, I think it was just the energy. Was, okay. It was like go, those early shows going to the cellar and like the energy of the room where it was just, like, oh, this is kind of a magnetic thing. Uh, yeah, this would be amazing. Just like do. a big party. Yeah, I can't believe yeah. people are getting paid to do this, and uh, I still can't. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. So, and you you write quite a bit. You've had writing jobs. You you submit yeah, a yeah. lot. Of, you're always doing packets, and they're really good. Kind of yeah, but uh, I'm kind of doing packets all sometimes. Not as many as before. You know, the before time of show business. But and uh, you enjoy sitting down to write. You enjoy just yeah. If I had, eight hours, it, well. If I have a prompt, yes. if I have like a packet to do or I have a specific task or a TV show that I need to write for and it's like, okay, we need jokes about this. Great. If, I, if I'm writing my stand-up, it never works for me to like just sit down and open my notebook and like try to come up with something. That mm -hmm. doesn't Does work. Does the stuff you write about in the packets ever come into your stand-up? Uh, maybe. That's try. happened for me. Yeah. I stole a Bradley Cooper joke and used it for really? myself. Yeah, when we, had, when we did <laughs> that the works, Bradley yeah. Cooper. Right, he was part yeah. of the roast packet. Yeah, yeah that, 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 I could see that being transferable. <laughs> yeah. That'd be funny. My whole act after that month was like, I just got to stay. So, what's the deal with Jamie Foxx, Bradley Cooper, and Rosie O'Donnell, right? Demi Moore, y'all. Demi Moore's not in the news. Yeah. <laughs> this, guy is the, this guy's lost his mind. <laughs> he really is a fan. And I think for the most part, if I work on something that is like a, an ad hoc piece of comedy writing, it just exists only for that purpose. I don't really incorporate it into my act. Yeah. The act kind of comes to me by accident. Yeah. It always feels like that's a cheesy line, but the universe hands it to you fully formed. Yeah. You know what I've had luck with? And, and I say this kind of as advice to other people with that sitting down to write stand up. I just created a document that's all of my working jokes, roughly how they'd be arranged in my hour or my mm -hmm. longer set. And then kind of the the moving targets and the kind of chunks that don't really have a through line but a couple beats and just looking over it just sitting down and looking at it you know, like my goal isn't to write anything new it's just to look over this and consider what needs work will spur a lot of creativity and just looking through, looking through old books and just flipping through and just seeing a joke and you, you wrote down and forgot immediately yeah yeah you started doing the note cards too i haven't used them i've I started doing note cards i haven't really used them really? it's just finding old like books wrote. and just flipping through them yeah and i have a new system now i have a, a small little book just for set lists and then try to keep the notebook for ideas. Right. It, putting both is confusing. That's but sometimes funny. set lists can, can be more inspiring because you see a word and you're like, what was that joke? Why did I give up on it after yeah. one week? I've completely forgotten like the years 2014 through 2017. So like it's yeah. nice to like look at those old notebooks and like, oh yeah, I remember I had a bit about that. And you, yeah, you can start so enthusiastic being like, I'm not gonna quit until I have something on this idea. Yeah. And then something shinier you know, a ball balances into your field of vision and then you, you leave it. Right. Um, so you did roasts, you've mm -hmm. done a ton of characters, you do a ton of stand-up, you produce your own shows occasionally? or pre I was before. Back in the day? Yeah, back in the day I was, I was doing an independent show. I, 
uh, yeah, I was doing too many cooks where like we had a booker and uh, we were doing it at the stand. And before that, we were doing it at uh, Lucky Jack's where all I really had to do was like host or do a set. Mm-hmm. So it was great. That was a great like weekly stage time thing. Yeah. I was just thinking about it. I was trying to figure out how many times I've been on stage and uh, I'm not entirely sure, but I think somewhere between like between 2000, late 2012 and like 2016, they're probably close to a thousand open mics. Mm-hmm. And, Holy uh, shit. A couple hundred shows sprinkled in there. I've started, I tried to do that at the beginning of the year, just document how many sets I do a month. Yeah. And trying to keep that number higher than the days of the month. That's what I was yeah. trying to explain. So, like, if I tell one of my friends that like, I'm going to a mic later, they'll be like, oh my God, good luck. And I'm like, it's kind of like, <laughs> Like saying good luck for practice. Right. Going to swim practice where you're like, I mean, I've had technically thank you. You're right. Yeah. (laughs) It's not really that. God. Did you hear Ronnie Chang's joke about the guy being like, when's your next show? He's like, well, I do four to five sets every night. So either later tonight or tomorrow night, depending on the time of day. You're like, when's the next good one? He's like, well, I try to give it my all (laughs) every time. So uh, maybe four or five times tonight or tomorrow. I'm not doing justice to the joke, but it's so cool hearing this explained right. to a mainstream audience. Yeah, I have had non-comedy friends come to my open mics a couple of times before. because like they were in town and they really wanted to see me get on stage. I was like, all right, yeah, you asked for it. <laughs> I have. That's the yeah. I have a couple of friends who. I have um, Alex and Eugene came to the Grizzly Pair. Oh boy, <laughs> it was great though because they're like. There's some friends where they like want to see that part of it you know because that's also interesting they're fine with seeing how the sauce those is the homies, exactly yeah. those are also like, they yeah. also get to see how bad other comedians are yeah, so they, you, like, are, but you they look also, great like, yeah. or usually, not there's no way you were the, usually they, they don't leave being like wow your set was weird they were just been like that one guy yeah. <laughs> who was the guy in the trench who was coats? the naked man who was the guy with the <laughs> raccoon on a leash <laughs> <laughs> yeah it can get pretty dicey at these open Oh my god! Yeah, no. One of the first mics in the first couple of weeks, I went to a mic and it was one of those mixed mics and mm-hmm. naked guy with probably mini watermelon size balls. Oh god! We were Small like, penis. yeah, I was like yeah, tennis ball, disorder, like, tennis ball size. Right? They were, they were. There was a medical concern. I was like, oh, you god. should be at the doctor poet. and yeah. poet and. Um, I was like, okay, well. I think we're on the tail end of the age where poets are at open mics. That was like kind of a. a fun weird throwback to like the uh yeah the greenwich village scene of the i think yeah i think it was an older guy i feel like it was probably like just kind of keeping that energy moving and yeah it's like, one of those guys who like lives in an apartment for a hundred dollars a month yeah exactly since 1964 exactly. Yeah. 2014 i i'd been recently fired i had moved to la didn't have a job and i had booked naca nationals wow it was in Boston. The airport closed. I had to fly into Connecticut and drive like through the night Hartford. and stay at an Airbnb and slept three hours. Really? It, was a, it was a 10 a.m. <laughs> showcase. And I was like, this needs to go well so I can make a living doing this. Yeah. This is my chance to maybe actually like make money doing comedy this year. Otherwise, I'm going to have to really reconsider my plans or maybe move back. And 10 a.m. showcase, I'm first in the lineup. The host is a spoken word poet. <laughs> nice. Nightmare situation. Yeah, but they're not going to bury you. Unless they, <laughs> unless they block the audience. But. But it, no, but it's just like, it's so heavy. It was so hard to follow. Also in the morning. So in the morning. At 10 a.m. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, uh, A bunch of, a thousand hungover college kids. Oh my God. People are just cringing. <laughs> That's so um, Yeah, people always talk about like how hard it is to follow someone who's like crushing doing stand-up and like really killing with the audience. I'll Give me that every time over someone who's a huge bummer. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's much harder yeah. to follow someone who sucks. As you said, the, the people always get like, I had to follow Aziz one day, yeah. and it was just 
it was a really fun set. I was like, you're riding the wave. And I, yeah, I acknowledged it. I mean, like, hey, that guy was way more famous. This is just uh, this. Look at this piece of shit trying to make yeah. us laugh now. And the set went really well. I was like, that was really fun. Essie goes, of course it was. That's the best spot you could ask for. Yeah, a celebrity popping following like a big name drop in. Like that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. Like Jay Leno famously would always ask to follow Richard Pryor at the comedy store when he was coming up because yeah. like this is a challenge. But I think yeah, part of it is the enhanced energy of the room benefits you as a comic. Yeah. Man, Andy Huggins had a story about, I think, going between Richard Pryor and Michael Keaton. Does that check out? Oh, really? That uh, checks out. He was a comic before he did uh, Batman. Yeah. Man, 80s was a great time for him. Yeah. You could just have five minutes and turn it into a movie career. Yep. Get a six-figure deal at JFL and be on your way. Uh, doesn't really happen anymore. Gone. But yeah, did that. Did, did JFL, did the comedy knockout, all that stuff. Um, Do you audition? Do you like acting? I'll audition every now and then, but I'm super tall. Where there, uh, there aren't going to be a lot of parts. How tall are you? Yeah, <laughs> six seven, baby. I, I feel like that's getting better though. Like, there's a lot of tall actors. There are. We all had it hard for a long time. <laughs> yeah, we're finally but getting representation. Tall, handsome. <laughs> like, <laughs> listen, we. Army, Army Hammer six five. Really? Uh huh. Momoa six five. Uh, we we just had Brad Garrett for years. That was it. Brad <laughs> Garrett was carrying the load six, for all of us. Something like that. He's a real lurch. <laughs> Uh, I was at I was auditioning I, I got an email from my commercial agent who I hear from once a year and <laughs> they're uh, they're doing auditions for the Bud Light Platinum Night <laughs> they're like the guy who wears a full suit of armor and she's like you will get this <laughs> the just, suit of armor is 6'5 yeah, <laughs> you'll I, fit perfectly that's like the guy who plays the predator they just needed someone over 7 feet tall yeah. who could <laughs> walk menacingly that's pretty I didn't know he was that tall shout out to the predator uh, the guy who played Jaws. The guy who yeah. cast the alien just saw this dude walk into a bar who was well He's over like, seven feet. He's like, that's terrifying. I did. You crouch. Yeah. Also, how um, if someone walks up to you and be like, you want to audition to be the predator? That's yeah. like such a nag right there. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be thrilled. Like, I would be so like, oh, thank you. The predator's yeah, absolutely. cool. Absolutely. But well, if you're trying to pick up chicks and yeah. they're like, well, you actually look like the predator. Like, let's not use the word predator. Yeah. <laughs> I, I played uh, Slenderman in a pilot presentation that I don't think wound up going. That was a year or two ago. Nice. But it was funny. I was like, uh, I was at this really nice house in Westchester and uh, I was, you know, in, in the mask and in a suit doing Slenderman. It's like this funny comedy. It was like a Slenderman family. And I had no idea, I, I had no idea where it was. And then I was just sitting in the living room, and Dennis Leary walked through the living room. Turns out it was his house the whole time. And it was like his kids were doing the the production. Oh, cool! And uh, I I had no idea the whole time. And uh, you just sitting there, I just, white face. No, I had like this latex mask yeah. over, covering my face entirely. I'm like creepily sitting in a suit. <laughs> Hey, how are you? Hey, hey. Drinking out of an extra long straw. <laughs> yeah, weaving it through. No, I couldn't even get it. There were no holes in the mask to get it through. I, I'm like a little bit claustrophobic. So I just like kind of white knuckled it and put the mask on. They had to sew it up oh, no. in the back. That's... So I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to leave it on for the rest of the day and get used to it. And I think that was the best approach. <laughs> God. Want to cover our last topic? Yeah. Were there any other milestones? Milestones. Writing for Cellar, um, obviously. The Cellar was the big one this year. That was really cool. Right I before that, snuck it right in hey. for the. I, so after, so I lived in, I lived in Connecticut for all of 2019. My parents were renting a place up in Bridgeport, uh, outside the city. I like, 
didn't have a job. I was like, screw it. I had savings, but I didn't have a job. And yeah. I, I was like, screw it. I'll spend some time with my parents and uh, live for free. I'll use my savings to take Metro North into the train, into this, into the train, the city, and I'll do shows and stuff. And uh, for that year, like I, I kind of felt like a huge loser while I was doing that. Then Nikki Glazer asked me to help her write for the roast. And that was a huge thing for me. Got some jokes on there. That was really big. And then in December, I got to write for uh, the Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year Awards. And that, that was like a huge thing. Yeah, the whole jock comedy. It was satisfying. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep, very. And I got to write jokes for Shaq. Got to meet him. And he was, it, I was backstage while he was doing my jokes on stage. That's and crushing. surreal. Like, this is yeah. amazing. Yeah. That was a huge deal. And shortly after that, I moved uh, back to the city. How did it feel feeling short? Uh, it's jarring. Yeah. <laughs> like, he is massive like it's yep. it's bizarre um i mean he's, he's saying that he's seven foot one 330 pounds doesn't even do justice <laughs> to like how massive of a figure he is like we took a picture uh where i'm like imitating his celebration that he used to do where he'd like look at his hand and his hand is next to my hand and it's like an adult and a little kid <laughs> just gripping one of his fingers yeah out of a, a crib yeah, he's walking me across the street uh, yeah. So you were, that's interesting. And then the cellar was not long after that. And then how did, the, how did that happen? I think I was still living, it was the tail end of me living in Connecticut when I auditioned. Connecticut was actually a cellar. good run for you. It, it worked <laughs> out pretty well. Yeah, damn. I had some stuff. I didn't make any money, but I like got some Whatever, cool stuff yeah. to do. You didn't spend any money either. Right, exactly. Oh, just on Metro North tickets. Yeah, but well, I um, was, uh, by. right. I loved, I famously love the Metro North. <laughs> and uh, well, what happened? Um, this week of the cellar, right? Yeah, I got a message from Mike Cannon, who was, I guess, sitting with Liz at the Comedy Cellar, and he was like, give me your number so they can get in touch with you. They're looking for people for this week of the Comedy Cellar. And uh, they, yeah, they reached out. Liz reached out, set up a showcase. Um, I showcased in January. I think it was like January 21st or something like that. It was like me, Ismail Lutfi, Aww. Ethan Simmons Patterson. We almost lived with him. He's the best. They're all, all those guys are the best. And uh, a couple other people. Ron? No, Ron, on, I don't think he, show, he was on a showcase like that. I think he got it like through, I think like Marill recommended him and he just like so did the regular audition. He's so funny. But then, yeah, I heard back like a week later and uh, I, I still wasn't clear on what it was because it was like, we want to use you for the upcoming season. But I didn't interpret it as like, you're passed at the cellar now. Yeah. Right. I thought there would be like a sit down meeting and like, Signs. they cut <laughs> yeah. some blood from my finger yes. and say, you're yeah. smeared on the wall right you're in, in the family now but um yeah and then i started like getting the spots just like regular spots um at the cell i think the the first spot i did at the cellar was like the biggest comedy moment i've had to date because it was like i saw the booth where i sat before oh, i started and i was like circle. oh that's where I, I wanted to do this i want to get to this stage Aww. and it was like surreal it was pretty great and it was like an amazingly hot crowd it was like wow yeah, yeah. It's weird Aww. how you have to be the best comic to perform in front of the easiest crowd. It's the the Glen Gary leads. Yeah, you gotta be the best salesman to, to get, get the them. Yeah, yeah. I had a very similar thing. Uh, yeah. with, I got it through this week the seller, and you you messaged me about showcasing, which is one of the trickiest situations. Yeah. In comedy, because they want you to do topical material, basically one week old stand up polish material to showcase for the network. You have to prove to them that you can do material on the week's news. Yeah. But then you're also simultaneously showcasing for the club, different bookers. 
Uh, so you have to, you want to bring your like three-year-old polish, 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 can do it in your sleep material mm -hmm. and finding the balance. What did you, what did you do content wise? I think I did one or two jokes that were like purely topical. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is a new story. This is what happened. Here's the punchline. And then for a couple other things, I segued a current event into an existing bit right. that I had yes. and then the rest of the set. I think it was like eight minutes. I did um, just A material, all, yeah. all the best stuff. Which is the move. <laughs> Don't <laughs> take risks. So. On, uh, yeah, because being on TV is nice, but being passed at the cellar is way better. That was the thing that I wanted to get out of it. And it was yeah. like, yeah, it was pretty amazing. That's cool. So you had, so would you consider 2019 like a kind of a setback year where had things slowed down or I don't know because I think I feel like I still did a good amount of shows mm -hmm. and um, yeah, you were around a lot I was like people didn't know that I was living in yeah exactly I remember so, yeah did I still, I did way fewer open mics and stuff um, were you part of the Connecticut scene <laughs> I, did you do any stuff in I lived like a mile away from Fairfield Comedy Club which oh, wow. is like in a hotel up there it's affiliated with New York Comedy Club. Hotel Holiday Inn, right? It's a, it's an independent hotel. It's at the Fairfield Circle. Oh my bad, I'm thinking bananas. But yeah, yeah it's uh, and it's so fun. I would I would just pop in there even if I wasn't booked. Emilio's would, room, right? Emilio's room, yeah. But he has some guys like uh, Joe Garricks and Beecher, who are Connecticut guys. They they run it, and um, they just had Melania and Berbiglia actually. They came oh, through and did an outdoor show, but and like they've had Pete Davidson before, and Pete was like, "When can I come back?" It's a great room. It's like really yeah. fun, and. Um, I would That's just right. either hang out there. Yeah, it was right there. So it was pretty. It was a pretty sweet deal. Were you doing less spots overall? Maybe a, a little bit fewer. Uh, not drastically fewer. Better. You, you were probably at a point where you are getting higher quality shows. I think so, yeah. I think I remember I did like, you know, Butterboy and mm -hmm. some other good bar shows like that where it was, uh, it was pretty fun. I'm having this experience now, and I'm sure a lot of people are, where it's, I had a great 2018, a much slower 2019, yeah. and 2020... Who the fuck knows? Money and opportunity-wise, you <laughs> mean, and I, I forget that comedy really goes up and down. Yeah. You can have slow, you know, a couple slow years, right. my fast years, and uh, it's my first time hitting a real, like, hitting the brakes this hard. Well. And um, it's been good for me as a person, and I think it's good for my comedy, but. It's also a global, the, the entire world has hit the brakes pretty that's damn yeah. hard. <laughs> Yeah, I don't slammed know. on them if I may. <laughs> well, 2019 was slower than 2018. But. Yeah, I still had a lot of stuff though. I think it was just different um, types of opportunities. Yeah, it's true. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know. But it, it, just a reminder to everyone of just because things slowed down doesn't mean they can't pick back up. Again. Yeah, you yeah. can Hopefully go four go years without cycles. going a best time. I see yeah. a lot of posts like, oh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of people posting stuff online. It's like, uh, oh, stand up comedy is dead forever and it's never going to come back. And like, I get a twinge of anxiety when I read something like that. It's like, oh, that. Really? I don't, I don't no, think, no. I don't no. think they're right, but part of me is like, "Fuck!" I've, it's also like, who's saying this? Yeah, it's <laughs> part the most hyperbolic global, people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've said it already. Why? But. Why? It's also the lowest barrier to entry, obviously. Yeah. Like, the, all you know what's going to be a while? Stadium comedy. events. Right. Stadium events for for like Lady Gaga. That might take a little bit until yeah. we're able to do that again. It's going to be next year. Stand up. Stand up comedy is already happening again because it's like a cockroach. It just like yeah, it can just can't, spring up anywhere. Can't be killed. You're in the park. Yeah. <laughs> I said it already, but people who only did two spots a week before quarantine are now really angry at people who are only doing two spots a week after quarantine. Yeah, the the it's kind of rounded off the the people who weren't that into it. And the other I'm side okay is, with that. Like you have so, to want it more. So um, we I started doing the bar show, which you did, which is great. 
Great show. Really fun. Thank you. Um, but when we were talking to the bar owner about, um, well, now it's changed a little bit because like the liquor authorities changed all the laws, but um, he was really excited about having us do a stand-up show because that's way safer than something where people dance together. Yes. He was like, I don't, like, I'd rather have people sit down in their seat apart from yeah. each other and like laugh and clap. And oh, sit. we haven't even considered the effects that the pandemic is going to have on grinding. When yeah. is grinding going to come back? We're leaving room for Corona, not just Jesus now. Right. <laughs> oh, grinding. Yeah. <laughs> on the comedy ground. Yeah. <laughs> Middle schoolers comedy. everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> or high schoolers, depending on how far south you are. Well, if you wear a mask, you're probably okay. Safe grinding. Safe, Safe grinding. grinding. <laughs> Penetration's okay, just not kissing. Um, um, this, so, do we want to... Yeah, we don't want the... Yeah. Do we want to dig into your personal life? Yeah, a little bit. You know, what do you... So, uh... You're, you're an eligible young comedian. <laughs> we have whenever we post stuff, pictures of you or videos of you. I, all my friends are like, "Who is that?" Like, is he single? Goddamn. So point he, being, for the I'm aware of the effect I have on women. <laughs> the line from the office. But do you? All right. So um, more seriously, do you like to date comedians or? Yeah. What's that all about? I think it's become a thing where at, at the first few years of comedy, I was like, "No, I'm never going to date comics" because there was some weird like unwritten rule of baseball where you're not supposed to do that but every single person does it yeah so uh i kind of just accept like i i think it's better not that i'm opposed to dating people who are outside of comedy but like a comedian is going to understand you so much better than yeah. someone who's from outside your lifestyle is just so different yeah um i mean that was like with sports like, yeah when you were swimming you generally dated swimmers because no one else is gonna be like so you can't go out because you have to get up at four forty-five. Oh, you're tomorrow. going swimming again? Again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you like, can't yeah. do anything ever. That's cool. As a man, kind of the the irony of stand-up of being like, it's going to be the reason any girl wants to date you. Yeah. And it's going to be the reason you won't be able to. They can't hang dates. out. Seven yeah. to ten every night, booked up. Right. Yeah, yeah and they're like, okay, well, hours. I work during the day yeah so mm -hmm. that gives us 5 30 to 6 30 <laughs> want to grab a drink at 1 30 i'm free at 1 30 a.m it's like listen we're gonna have to just skip to being in a committed relationship <laughs> we're moving in that's the only way we that's can like do. you need a specific app for just moving in <laughs> yeah we'll see each other from 2 p.m to 5 p.m that's it and then yeah. we'll grab a bite and we'll go our separate ways but no, i think there, there are ways to make it work i, I don't know I'm, i don't have the soup like incredibly busy comedy schedule that like more established comics have like Nikki Glazer is a good friend of mine. She's like super uh, under ordinary circumstances. She's doing four or five spots at night. She's running all over town. Right. And that's like during dating hours. And she's talked about this a lot where it's like, okay, we can walk from one of my shows to the other and that can be our date. But like, there's not a lot of bandwidth here for us to hang Right. Out. And then it's usually the people who will do that are not the people you want to like. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're probably going to be wanting to date someone who's also like got some shit going on. Yeah. You know, like health insurance. Like health insurance, um, that's a, that's another dating app. Do you have health insurance? I can get on. Yeah, right. We, we meshed well at the beginning, even though she wasn't doing stand up yet. But just her, the, the sports background gave her an understanding of like stupid levels of sacrifice. Well, also, yeah. I was in a much, I was goal. in a much more in, committed, intense thing than you were at that yeah. point. Yeah, sure. But shortly after, by by first, by, not even fucking close. Yeah. Like stand yeah. up is a big commitment. It's not even yeah, fucking. Four forty five a.m. Wake up. Will right. you be in physical pain for four hours a day? <laughs> well, you've never done morning radio, so. Oh, no. <laughs> but, great point. Okay. Uh, morning radio, to, like, swimming, and then it's not even close to pursuing uh, sports. It's not Johnny like, in the fall. Um, no, well, swimming in yeah. particular, just because you have to be like, the, the hours are so crazy for it. Yeah, and I wouldn't be opposed to dating. 
of someone outside of comedy or even if they're not that familiar with comedy as long as they can understand like this is a, a long-term mission and i'm on it and that's you know right. right i'm gonna have to make sacrifices for it in the first couple of years especially there's no room for someone else yeah yeah that's why with comics like when you're both working usually and like you form a relationship it's mostly just sleepovers here and yeah. here and there for like a while. Hopefully, get on booked on the same show. Yeah, hang out there. I've yeah. The, the part I haven't experienced it because I I never dated comics until she became one, and uh, the competitiveness I've never experienced. The the I'm yeah. happy for you, but also yeah, that sounds it. hard. Yeah, because yeah. we're far enough apart that it's not. It's hard to understand. I I don't know if I would experience that. Like, if because if it's a man dating a woman, I don't know if there'd be like, oh, you got an opportunity that I wanted, but it doesn't feel like you're taking something away from me. You know what I mean? I, I've never experienced oh, man. it myself. It would be tough to be like gay and dating another gay comic. Uh, you're oh, you're both going for, would for the gay. Would be interracial. That'd be. You're right. We are literally going for the. You get something. It's. It means I can't do that. <laughs> I don't know yeah. about that, but yeah, there's a the. Any joke, that's why whenever are, you host, I always say any joke I could, I usually make fun of the host, but any joke I do about JP would be, <laughs> could equally apply to me. Well, there are more in comedy, in the comedy world, there are more white male opportunities than there are anything else. So there's a little bit less tension, I think, between us, between any of us generic white dudes. Listen, we're all against Colin Jost. That's what matters. <laughs> yeah. You and me, we have one common enemy. It's like in uh, that, there's an episode of 30 Rock where at the Six Sigma convention like someone gets disgraced and they're like, when a big one falls down, five little ones move up. It's all managers. Yeah. Um, anything else? What do you have? I mean, I know this is weird to ask. Anything you've got coming up that you want to put in here? Uh, probably not. Yeah, <laughs> probably just. Getting a job somewhere. Circle <laughs> back on that at some point. Um, Share your video. Please check out his Twitter. Yeah, I guess like Facebook. It's you've got a lot of content that you're pushing. Yeah, pushing the pushing the tent. But um, yeah, I'm on the socials. I'm I'm still doing stand up, obviously, and I'll do right. it whenever I can. But uh, yeah, I I feel like I've kind of taken a breather from stand up in the past month or so, and it's been kind of nice. But I'm getting the itch, itch to like go back and do it again. And it seems it's somewhat going to be normalizing over the next few months, hopefully. 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 I mean, yeah, that's the whole thing, the indoor component. But yeah. Who knows? It would be nice to be inside. That would be nice to not just be sweaty all the time. Yeah. All I do now is sweat. I want to be wearing jeans and long sleeve t-shirts I again. fucking hate wearing shorts. Yeah. Yeah. I've had enough of the shorts. I can be retired. Yeah. Well, on that, it's been great having you. Thank you for Thank having you. me. Yeah. Always a pleasure. All right. Goodbye. I'll be in... Oh, wait. Matt's got some shit I'll to say. I'll be in Philly, uh, Philly Punchline, September 10th through 12th. Cool. Thanks. Oh, and I have a show. Come to my show. Um, you can follow me online and find out more information on that. Goodbye. <laughs>